Let us now turn in the word of God to the prophet Micah and the chapter 2. This is the word of the Lord. Let us hear together God's holy word. We turn first of all here for our Old Testament reading and then to the New Testament. Micah chapter 2, verses 1 to 13. This is the word of God. Let us hear together. Woe to them that devise iniquity and work evil upon their beds. When the morning is light, they practice it because it is in the power of their hand. And they covet fields and take them by violence, and houses and take them away. So they oppress man and his house, even a man and his heritage. Therefore thus saith the Lord, Behold, against this family do I devise an evil, from which ye shall not remove your necks. Neither shall ye go haughtily, for this time is evil. In that day... Shall one take up a parable against you, and lament with a doleful lamentation, and say, We be utterly spoiled, he hath changed the portion of my people, how he hath removed it from me, turning away he hath divided our fields, therefore thou shalt have none that shall cast a cord by lot in the congregation of the Lord. Prophesy ye not. Say to them that prophesy, they shall not prophesy to them, that they shall not take shame. O thou that art named the house of Jacob, is the spirit of the Lord straightened? Are these his doings? Do not my words do good to him that walketh uprightly? Even of late my people is risen up as an enemy. Ye pull off the rope with the garment from them that pass by securely as men averse from war. The woman of my people ye have cast out from their pleasant houses. From their children ye have taken away my glory forever. Arise ye and depart, for this is not your rest, because it is polluted. It shall destroy you, even with a sore destruction. If a man walking in the spirit and falsehood do lie, saying, I will prophesy unto thee of wine and of strong drink, he shall even be the prophet of this people. I will surely assemble, O Jacob, all of thee. I will surely gather the remnant of Israel. I will put them together as the sheep of Bozra, as the flock in the midst of their fold. They shall make great noise by reason of the multitude of men. The breaker is come up before them. They have broken up and passed through the gate and are gone out by it. And their king shall pass before them and the Lord on the head of them. Amen. We now turn to the New Testament, to the Gospel of Matthew and the 10th chapter. The Gospel of Matthew And the chapter 10, let us hear again God's word. And when he had called unto him his twelve disciples, he gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. Now the names of the twelve apostles are these, the first Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew his brother, James 
the son of Zebedee, and John his brother, Philip, and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the publican, James the son of Alphaeus, and Labius, whose surname was Thaddeus, Simon the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent forth and commanded them, saying, Go not into the way of the Gentiles, and into any city of the Samaritans, enter ye not. But go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as ye go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils. Freely ye have received, freely give. Provide neither gold, nor silver, nor brass in your purses, nor scrip for your journey, neither two coats, neither shoes, nor yet staves, for the workman is worthy of his meat. And into whatsoever city or town ye shall enter, inquire who in it is worthy, and there abide till ye go thence. And when ye come into an house, salute it. And if the house be worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it be not worthy, let your peace return to you. And whosoever shall not receive you, nor hear your words, when ye depart out of that house or city, shake off the dust of your feet. Verily I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be ye therefore wise as serpents, and harmless as doves. But beware of men, for they will deliver you up to the councils, and they will scourge you in their synagogues. And ye shall be brought before governors and kings for my sake, for a testimony against them and the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, Take no thought of how or what ye shall speak, for it shall be given you in that same hour what ye shall speak. For it is not ye that speak, but the Spirit of your Father which speaketh in you. And the brother shall deliver up the brother to death, and the father the child. And the children shall rise up against their parents and cause them to be put to death. And ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake, but he that endureth to the end shall be saved. But when they persecute you in this city, flee ye into another. For verily I say unto you, ye shall not have gone over the cities of Israel till the Son of Man be come. The disciple is not above his master, nor the servant above his law. It is enough for the disciple that he be as his master and the servant as his lord. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more shall they call them of his household? Fear them not, therefore, for there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed and hid that shall not be known. What I tell you in darkness, that ye speak in the light. What ye hear in the ear, that preach ye upon the housetops. And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell.
Are not two sparrows sold for a farthing? And one of them shall not fall on the ground without your father? But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear ye not, therefore, ye are of more value than many sparrows. Whosoever, therefore, shall confess me before men, him will I confess also before my Father which is in heaven. But whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father which is in heaven. Think not that I am come to send peace on earth. I came not to send peace, but a sword. For I am not come, for I am come to set a man at variance against his father, and the daughter against her mother, and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's foes shall be they of his own household. He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. He that findeth his life shall lose it. And he that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. He that receiveth you receiveth me, and he that receiveth me receiveth him that sent me. He that receiveth a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. He that receiveth a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. And whosoever shall give to drink unto one of these little ones a cup of cold water in the name of a disciple, verily I say unto you, he shall in no wise lose his reward. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. And may the Lord be pleased to bless that public reading of his most holy, infallible word. And all to the glory of his name. The Lord helping us, let us pray and let us seek his gracious help and blessing here tonight as we gather around his precious word. Let us draw near. Well, dear congregation, some of you may perhaps be a little bemused by the last hymn that we sang. You notice in uh, Gospel hymns there, 97, in ties of blood, with sinners one, the breaker is to glory gone. Creation's Lord and Israel's King, my Savior, praise my soul, shall sing. In every verse there, almost, the one who is called the breaker is mentioned. And that person is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, with that introduction, I ask you to please turn your prayerful attention to that passage that I read to you in your hearing there in the prophecy of Micah and the chapter 2. And I take for my text this evening, after a number of years I've not preached on this passage, but again this evening I wish with the Lord's help and the Lord bringing fresh insights to his word, bring to you for my text this evening, verse 12 to the verse 13 of Micah chapter 2. I will surely assemble, O Jacob, all of thee. I will surely gather the remnant of Israel. I will put them together as the sheep of Bosra, as the flock in the midst of their fold. They shall make great noise by reason of the multitude of men. 
And here we have our verse, verse 13. The breaker is come up before them. They have broken up. They have passed through the gate and are gone out by it. And their king shall pass before them and the Lord on the head of them. The Lord helping this evening as we consider the theme that is set before us here. The Lord Jesus Christ who is set before us in the scriptures as the breaker. And you'll also notice the closing hymn for this evening is number 98. Again, taken from the same text, sing the dear Savior's glorious fame who bears the breaker's wondrous name. Now, it is very sad that many modern preachers miss out so many of these golden nuggets in the Word of God. The Scriptures are replete. They are full of the very person and the glorious work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And there are so many passages that we're able to preach the sweet saving gospel from in the Old Testament. The Old Testament, dear friends, is not a redundant book, but it is very appropriate. It is very apposite. Remember what the Lord Jesus Christ said to the Jews in his day. Search the Scriptures. In them, he said, you think you have eternal life. But he said, it is they that testify of me. The Scriptures in the Old Testament are constantly pointing us to the one who leads his people. Here he is presented as the king, as the shepherd, and as the one who is styled as the breaker. Now the Lord Jesus Christ, my friends, if you were to do a study of all the names of Christ in the Old Testament, you would be utterly amazed. Because he is such a wonderful He is such a glorious person. In fact, we are told in Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6 that his name is called Wonderful because he is altogether wonderful. He is altogether glorious. He does wondrous things. Psalm 72, David by the Spirit writes that psalm for Solomon concerning the great king to come, that he, this king that was to come, and did come, and has come, and my friends, is coming again, only doeth wondrous things. We want to consider this evening this theme of Christ the breaker. Now I know that that seems to be a very negative word when we think, don't we, of breaking something. That sounds very negative. But the way in which Christ breaks is most glorious and most important in the life, friends. We'll think about that this evening. But first of all, let me set before you the historical context and background to this passage of Scripture. Firstly, by way of introduction, the prophet Micah was a contemporary prophet with the prophet Isaiah, and he prophesied somewhere in the region between 70 732 B.C. and 715 B.C. 
And this book itself is a very solemn book because it warns of God's impending judgment, not only upon Israel in the north. And now, for those of you who are not sure of the historical background, Israel used to be one nation and uh, 12 tribes, we know from Jacob. But at the time after Solomon's death, it was divided in two because he had a foolish son named Rehoboam. And you had the 10 tribes in the north, and they succumbed to idolatry very quickly under their first leader, Jeroboam. And then that was at a terrible time. And then much later, we know that Judah in the south, and called Judah, they had two tribes granted, Benjamin and Judah. They were in the south. They were a lot more faithful, but they did succumb to idolatry in the end, worldliness. Now, there is a picture. As we look at those two, we could say, sets of nations, although originally one. And let me put it to you this way. There are two kinds of people in this world. There are the saved and the lost. And Israel is a picture, really, spiritually, and it's easy to prove, of the lost soul. Because in the year 722 B.C., The ten tribes in the north, they were banished, as it were, taken into captivity, and they were assimilated into the Sumerians, and they never had a king again. And in the days of our Lord Jesus Christ, we've read there, haven't we, from the Gospel of Matthew, how he said that he had not, he told his disciples not to go into Samaria. And so in a sense, they really were outside, and they became the Sumerians. Remember what the Lord said to the woman at the well? She was a Sumerian woman, but salvation is of the Jews. In other words, that salvation would come out of the line, the lineage of David from the line of the tribe of Judah, and that the gospel must, first of all, go through Jerusalem, and throughout all Judea, and then to the uttermost parts of the world. But really, when we, when we think of the historical context, and this is very vital that we understand this, in the north, the ten tribes, they never had a king again. And uh, they are known as the lost, ten lost tribes of Israel. But in the south would come the Savior. So God is... Eventually, he's bringing the Savior into the world. And in this book, in the opening chapter of this book, Micah, by the Holy Spirit, looks ahead to the time of 722 B.C. When I said that in the north, judgment would come. Long before that, the nations were split, but then there would be a a final falling into idolatry. And the people in the north, Israel in the north, would never have a king again. Now, if you notice chapter 1, verse 6, the capital of Israel in the north was Samaria. Notice, and here Micah predicts this tragic fall of Israel to the Assyrian Empire in 722 BC. Verse 6, Therefore I will make Samaria as an heap of the field, 
and as plantings of a vineyard, and I will pour down the stones thereof into the valley, and I will discover the foundations thereof. Then you come down, if you notice, he not only predicts that fall in verse 5 and then verse 6, and uh, verse 5 tells us something very somber and very sober there, and then verse 6, and then you come to the verse 8, what we have also predicted here is the time of 586 BC, when Judah in the south will also be led away captive, but they will not be forsaken. Because we know that in the year, uh, after 70 years of captivity, they were led away captivity, 586 BC, but 70 years after that, the Lord would return them. And God would not forsake Jerusalem. And it's, it's a picture, like I say, when you look at these two groups, you have Israel in the north, but God would not forsake Jerusalem. Look at verse 8. Therefore will I wail and howl. I will go stripped and naked. I will make a wailing like the dragons and mourning as the owls, for her wound is incurable, for it is come unto Judah. He is come unto the gate of my people, even to Jerusalem. So the enemy will come to the people in the south, to Judah. And we know, come down to the verse 16 of chapter 1, and the Lord says, Make thee bald and pull thee for thy delicate children who were taken away. Who were the delicate children? Those like Daniel, Shadrach, and Abednego, and them. Enlarge thy baldness as the eagle, for they are gone into captivity from thee. So chapter 1 predicts not only the fall of Israel in the north, but Judah in the south, and they are gone into captivity. But the Lord, in his graciousness, will not forsake Jerusalem. Now we know in the Bible, and those of you who are not Christians, let me just say, and let me explain as plainly and as clearly as I can. Jerusalem, God not forsaking them, is a picture of God not forsaking his heavenly Jerusalem. God from all eternity past, my dear friends, has predetermined and predestinated a people unto eternal life. They by nature deserve God's wrath, just as Judah, just as Judah in the south. And they should have been cast away. Let me just... Before we come to our text, let me just show you from the book of Jeremiah, chapter 3, in the verse 6. Much later, Judah is going to be soon led into captivity. And uh, you have jo- godly Josiah the king. And Jeremiah 3, 6. The Lord said also unto me in the days of Josiah the king, Hast thou seen that which backsliding Israel hath done? She has gone up every high mountain and under every green tree, this is idolatry, and there hath played the harlot. And I said, after her, she had done all these things, turn thou unto me, but she turned, return not. This is Israel in the north. Now notice, and her treacherous sister Judah, that's the people in the south that I've been speaking about, and her treacherous sister Judah saw it, and I saw, for when all the causes whereby backsliding Israel committed adultery, I had put her away. I'd given her a bill of divorcement. You see, the Lord, 
And there are many people that say, well, God doesn't believe in divorce. Well, we have here God completely cutting Israel off. He said, I've given her divorce. But notice this. And her treacherous sister saw it. And I saw when for all the causes whereby backsliding Israel committed adultery, I put her away and given her a bill of divorce. Yet her treacherous sister Judah feared not, but went and played the harlot also. Equal sin, isn't it? What did Judah do? The people, they had been given the oracles of God. They had been given the law, the testimonies. And I suppose it's true for everyone in this world. Everyone has received the knowledge of God, whether by the things created. Paul says, man is without excuse. Yet Israel had so much knowledge, so did Judah. God, however, had written, as it were, a bill of divorcement to Israel in the north. That's it. I'm no longer your spouse. It's over. And by the way, there is only one way in which divorce, in the normal and natural sense of a physical relationship, husband and wife, there is only, as far as the scriptures tell us, very clear, the Lord says in Matthew 19, only if adultery has been committed. And these people had committed spiritual adultery against God. And therefore, he cuts them off. But the interesting thing is, you see, Judah in the south, had, as we read there, committed adultery too. And that is true of everybody in this world. And it is especially true of a Christian. All have sinned, and all have come short of the glory of God. Does the Bible not say that? If a man even... And if you just think about adultery in the natural sense, if a man so much even lost after a woman in his own heart, he's already committed adultery. And is there any of us here tonight that is prepared to say, I've never sinned. I've never even committed spiritual adultery to God. What is spiritual adultery to God? You've not loved God with all your heart, my friend, your soul, your mind, your strength, and you have not loved your neighbor as yourself. If you... Have not loved God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. Let me say, friend, you are an adulterer and an adulteress. And that's all of us. But you see, what you can see in Judah is you see God's grace. Don't you see that? If you don't see that, let me say this, you are spiritually blind. And I don't mean to be offensive here tonight. I just wish to be plain and truthful to you. Judah were no better than Israel in the north. The difference is, God has said, I will have mercy upon whom I will have mercy. That's the difference. That's the difference between somebody who is a Christian and somebody who's not. They're brought to see their sin. And they brought to see the mercy of God that is in Jesus Christ. That's the difference. And so, you see, just as Israel 
was put away. Judah should have been put away. And my friend, if you're here tonight and you're still living and breathing, and God has not cast you into hell, let me say that in itself, you should just be thankful for. We are all deserving of God's wrath. Are we not? And we know, if you just turn to chapter 2 of Micah chapter 2, this is the lovely part. Judah will go back to Jerusalem again. And that there, my friend, have a look in your Bible, is a wonderful picture of salvation. It's important you have your Bible open there and see with your own eyes as you hear with your own ears tonight. Chapter 2, verse 12. I will put them together as the sheep of Bosra. Now, this is an interesting thing. Bosra. We don't have time to develop this tonight, but if you study in Isaiah's prophecy, who is this that cometh from Bosra with dye-sprinkled garments and so on? It's the Lord Jesus. As the flock in the midst of their fold, they shall make great noise by reason of the multitude of men. In other words, this is going to be a large gathering. The Lord is going to gather in a large number. Now why? Well, the answer is found, have a look there, verse 13. The breaker is come up before them. They have broken up and have passed through the gate and are gone out by it. And their king shall pass before them and the Lord on the head of them. In other words, here you have a picture of a king leading the people out of captivity. Now people... Friends, let me just say, addressing Christians here for a moment, many have suggested that this is King Cyrus. But it can't be. Because it says, their king. Of course, the king of kings, God, is the one, as it were, who has made his decrees. Remember in Psalm 2? The Lord has decreed. The Lord said unto my Lord, the Lord Jesus is God. And God decrees all things. When Caesar issued a decree, by the way, who was behind Caesar's decree that the whole world should be taxed? God. God is always the primary cause of all things that come to pass in this world. Nothing happens besides God's decrees. And although Cyrus, you know, that in the days of captivity, Judah will come out of Babylon, and that it would be Cyrus, the prophets even named Cyrus as the king, the servant. Who was Cyrus? Cyrus was a Persian king. He was not a king of the Jews. But Cyrus issued a decree that Israel should go back to Jerusalem and dwell in the city. Why? Because God promised that he would not forsake his people. But here, friends, is a far greater picture which we're pointed to here. The breaker is come up before them, and they have broken up and have passed through the gate and have gone out by it, and their king shall pass before them. Now, there's no such thing as Cyrus 
ever going into Jerusalem itself and walking through into the midst of the city. There's, there's no record of it, and he certainly wasn't king of the Jews. He certainly was not king of the Jews and shall pass before them. Now I want you to think with me for a moment. Those of you perhaps who know little of the Bible. We know right from the days of Exodus that the Lord was leading his people out through the wilderness of Egypt. Do we not read that the Lord was in the pillar of fire by night and the cloudy pillar by day? The Lord went before them. When Moses stood on the brink of the Red Sea and he could see the great crashing waves, God said, And there is Pharaoh coming. And the people had nowhere to go. Stand and see the salvation of the Lord. And who we told went before them. God went before. And God protected them from behind. Now Christ is the breaker. That's so easy to prove from Holy Scripture. In what ways is he the breaker? As I said, this term breaker does not seem to be a positive word. It doesn't seem to be a positive message. Why, let me say, there are many, and let me get your ears of attention, there are many who preach a false gospel today. And they do not preach the gospel of the breaker. What did the Lord Jesus Christ say? I have not come to bring peace on earth, but I have come to bring a sword. And you see, this is the test. This is the real test. And maybe you're sat here tonight and you're wondering, am I a Christian? What is Christianity all about? Do I really know the Lord Jesus Christ? Am I saved? Do I know this breaker? Well, the hymn writer seems to know him. And we, we have two, three hymns indeed on the breaker. And I want you to ask that question. With judgment day honesty, my friend. Do you know the breaker? I don't want a cheap, easy gospel here tonight. Gospel that costs you nothing. Let me say, is worth nothing. It's worth nothing. It's empty. There is so much of a false gospel in this world. So much entertainment. But you know, whom the Son sets free is set free from many things. He breaks up. Remember what he said. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. And I, he would set variance, a mother against a daughter, and a daughter against a mother, and a father against his son. And people of your own household will be your enemy. And you see, this is a very important thing. 
Because if these things are not true of you, you will wake up to a very rude awakening one day. And you will hear the words, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. Because this one is styled, and we will see it from the scriptures, as the breaker. But it's a good breaking, let me say. You've heard the old saying, if it ain't broken, don't fix it. But let me say this, friends. We are broken. We come into this world and we are broken. And my friend, man needs to be broken up before he can ever be bound up. And that is exactly what God does. He breaks a man up, and he makes him anew. Jeremiah goes down to the potter's house, and he sees a vessel that is marred. And the potter has to start again, and he has to make a new vessel. And my friend, that's what God does in salvation. The question is, you see, We do not sit over God's word here tonight, but we sit under it, don't we? What you have in so many a place today is you have people pontificating and saying things like this, well, I believe God's word says this, and I believe God's word says that, but they have no validation, they have no proof. What we want to do tonight is to examine carefully from Holy Scripture what this really means, that Christ is the breaker. He is the breaker, and uh, he is the king. We sang, did we not, in that hymn, in ties of blood with sinners one, the breaker is to glory gone, creation's Lord and Israel's king, my Savior's praise my soul shall sing. When fettered, With my sins I lay. This breaker did his power display. What does God do? What does Christ do as the breaker? What does he do when he saves a man? There is a new creation. The person is awakened to their sin. There's a conscious awareness that this world is a sinful world. And when the Savior comes, he shows you, my friend, that you are a slave to sin. Doesn't he? Now, I must say it plainly. The Jews did not see themselves as slaves to sin. In the Gospel of John, he says, you've always been in bondage. He came to the Jews, he said, you, you, they said, but we're, we're children of Abraham. We've never been in bondage. Well, they were blind. They were blind to the fact that for almost 430 years, they were in bondage to the Egyptians. But furthermore, they're in bondage to sin. You remember what the Lord Jesus said, he who sins is a slave to sin. And what is sin? 
Sin is wanting to do everything your way. Wanting to do everything that pleases you. That's how, really, we come into this world. We come into this world, well, I'll live my life. I'll do it my way. As Mr. Frank Sinatra thought he sang so well, I did it my way. Well, my friends, God has made this world, and you and I will stand before him before long, will we not? Why did God make us? God made us, first of all, in his own image. God made us for his glory. The question we need to ask tonight is, have we lived to the glory of God? No. And what is God's requirement? The soul that sins shall surely die. Death. Do you realize, you see, I believe some people entertain false notions about God. They believe that, you know, you can live how you want. Just do your best. And somehow all will be well in the end. No. God says the soul that sins shall surely die. You don't believe it? Go back to Genesis 3. Genesis 2 in the garden. What did God say? Adam, the day in that thou sinnest thou shalt die. And Adam began to die. To experience death. Spiritually as well as physically. And you see, we're, we're born in bondage to sin, and we're born blinded to sin. And what are we told there in Genesis 3.15? The Lord said to Satan, and I will put, what? Enmity. Literally, I will inject enmity between the seed of the woman and the seed of Satan. There is going to be a conflict in this world. And what does that mean? That means by nature we are born as children of wrath. You and I, friends, are not born lovers of God. We, in fact, are born haters of God, despisers of God. But what does God do? He breaks in. He breaks into this world. By one man, we're told, death came. And sin entered in. And we're told, and now death has spread to all men, for all have sinned. And look at us. And you know, I'm afraid, sin is even in the church. There's sadly even many who would call themselves evangelical Christians. Why? Somebody might even say, well, why is there a difference between this church and that church? Why is there a difference across the spectrum of churches? I'll tell you why. Sin. It's always the reason. Pride is always the reason. People think they know better than the Word of God. Oh, I, I, I don't want a God like that. Our church, we don't believe in a holy God. We believe in an accommodating God. Well, my friend, when we come to God's word, we realize that he is holy. And you see, the Bible also tells us, and without holiness, no man shall see the Lord. Now, what does that mean? 
When Christ breaks into your life, he infuses righteousness in you. That is because he comes by his spirit and he so teaches you the word of God. He teaches you, first of all, that you are sinful and that God not only is holy and just, but Jesus Christ had to die for his people. Why? Romans chapter 8 tells us that the righteousness of God might be fulfilled in them in their lives. Why was the Lord Jesus Christ called Jesus? Do you know the answer to that question, my friend? Let me ask you, answer it in your own mind. Why was he called Jesus? For he shall save his people from what? From their sins. That is, a real Christian is somebody who lives not according to the power of sin. As Charles Wesley says in his hymn, he breaks the power of cancelled sin. Our sins were dealt with at the cross. And the proof that we are a Christian is that sin no longer has dominion over us. My friend, that's a Christian. That's a Christian. Not somebody who jumps up and down and does silly things. A real Christian, my friends, is somebody that knows the breaker. And the breaker has come, what has he come to do? He's come to break the power of cancelled sin in our lives. We were once friends with this world. And when the Lord Jesus Christ comes into our hearts, look, he leads them. Many of the people, you notice even in this chapter, they wanted to stay where? In Babylon. And God says, no, it's not good for you. You you, you will become like the Babylonians. If a man, verse 11, walking in the spirit and falsehood do lie, saying, I will prophesy unto thee of wine or strong drink, he shall even be the prophet of of this people. I will surely assemble. Now this is the positive, O Jacob, all of thee. I will surely gather the remnant of Israel. Do you know what a remnant is? A small gathering. And let me say this. When he speaks here of Israel, he means this. And the remnant of Israel is a true call of believers. Israel are pictured as the people of God. True spiritual Israel. And they're always in the minority. Remember what the Lord Jesus said. There are two roads, aren't there? There's a narrow gate that leads to what? A narrow way. And there's a broad gate that leads to a broad way, but that way ends in destruction. And there were many at this time of captivity, because that's the context of chapter 2, that said, we'll stay in Babylon now. They got used to it after many years. And having to go back to Jerusalem meant what? We sing one of the Psalms that they return back. And what do they do? They have to take precious seed with them. Because as they return back to Jerusalem, they will go back to burnt fields, burnt houses, a destroyed temple, and there's nothing left. Nothing left. 
And it says, we sing in that psalm, though they sow precious seed, they shall reap with tears of joy. In time, God will fulfill his promise to cause them to flourish again. You see, these people are hoping in God. Many people that were in Babylon began to live like the Babylonians. They became worldly. But the real ones who were Christians took God at his word. And my friends, that's the truth, isn't it? That's the mark of a Christian. The Lord says in this chapter, this is not your resting place. Babylon, and in the same way, my friend, the breaker hasn't come to you, or you haven't come to him either, if this world is your home. If this is your resting place, if you are comfortable in the world, if you enjoy a church that is like the world, do you see? It's a somber message, isn't it? God's people are not comfortable in this world. Why? Because the breaker has come. What a picture here in these verses. He comes forth, as it were, and it's pictorial language, to bring the people out of Babylon and in back into the promised land. Ah, but there have been troubles. Yes, but the Lord says, you must go back. Remember what the Lord Jesus Christ said. We read it there, didn't we, in Matthew's Gospel. He that will not take up his cross and deny himself is not what worthy of me. And the breaker, what does he do? He will even hear it now. Does he break up families? No, he doesn't. But in following him, what happens? When you follow Christ, what did he say? The world will hate you for my name's sake. Now I must warn you, if we are to become a Christian by the grace of God, it's not going to be an easy life. Because it's an unpleasant world. And the Lord Jesus said, even the members of a man's own home, his family will be his enemies. Isn't that something? He breaks not only the power of cancel sin, but he will break up. Not because you're doing something wrong, but because who you belong to. You see them following and he's leading them through the gate. And is Christ not the door? Is he not the door of the sheepfold? Is he, is he not the one that leads to eternal life? And what does that do? It causes division. And you may even have to hear it now. Call off ungodly relationships with people in this world. If you're not prepared to do that, the Lord said, if a man will not hate brother, father, sister, mother, he's not worthy of me. 
And he who doesn't even hate his own life, what does that mean? Say, who I am by nature, my choices, my decisions. He said he cannot be my disciple. In that sense, my friends, he's the breaker. He's not come to bring peace. But he does bring peace in another sense. Look at the sheep, how they, they gather together. Do you see that? I will surely assemble, O Jacob, all of thee. Jacob pictures God's people in this world. I will surely gather the remnant of Israel. I will put them together as the sheep of Basra, as the flock in the midst of their fold. They shall make great noise by reason of the multitude of men. Why? The breaker is come up before them. They have broken up and have passed through the gate and gone out by it. And their king shall pass before them and the Lord on the head of them. Remember when the Lord Jesus Christ's own family came to him. And they thought he had lost his mind. They thought he had lost his marbles. And the disciples said, Your mother, your sisters are looking for you. And he said, These are my brethren. And that's the difference, isn't it? You see, when the Lord comes, you are taken out of Adam. When he comes to your heart, you realize your eyes are opened to this world and to its sin. And there's a break in your life. The breaker comes and he not only breaks the power of cancel sin, he breaks our proud nature. That's another thing he breaks. And he comes with all grace. And he puts a new nature in us, new desires. He breaks up. What does he break? He breaks up bondage to this world. We were once in slavery to this world. It's a lovely passage you can read for yourself in Galatians 4, which Paul speaks about bondage. He breaks our hearts. That's another way he breaks us. You know, when you come under the ministry of his word, you come and you realize every Lord's day, I've not lived up to this Lord. I've got a broken heart, Lord. Please forgive me. I'm afraid there are some people that are not broken in heart. What does the Lord say? The Lord says, on this one will I look. He that is of a broken heart and a contrite spirit and that trembleth at my word. What else does the Lord say? It is said of him when he came into the world and he he preached the gospel. He does not quench a smoking flax, nor break a bruised reed. What is a bruised reed? It's figurative language. You know, we come into this world, then what are we? We're like reeds. You've been down to the marsh, you've been down to the river, and you can see the reeds, can't you? They're tall, and they stand proud. It doesn't take a lot, does it, to take them down, a wind, a gust. But we are just like reeds, my friends, tall, proud, 
But what does the Lord do when he breaks? He bruises the reed, but he doesn't break the reed completely. We're laid low, and we're made humble, and we're made useful for him. Again, this word breaker, it sounds negative, but it's not. The Lord has come. He destroys Satan's work. Remember, the Lord says there in Genesis 3.15, and I will put enmity. Literally, God would break up the alignment that Satan had made with man. We, he is, what else is he? The Lord Jesus to his people. We know from Zechariah 3, when we have the picture of the angel of the Lord standing with Joshua the high priest, and there is Satan, the accuser, accusing God and the angel of the Lord. Why? Because there is Joshua the high priest before the Lord. And he is stained full of dirty, filthy rags. Satan, as it were, had a charge against Joshua. But it was a false charge. The charge was, how can, how can man who is unclean stand before God? And what does God do? He says, take off that high priest, the filthy garments, and put on him clean robes and a fair mitre. For God says, in one day shall I remove the iniquity. That's what he does. The Lord Jesus, what he does is he breaks up the friendship that we have with the world. As well. Remember what John says? Friendship with the world, my friend, is enmity with God. This is why you can't have worldliness in the church. This is why there is no such thing. Hear me, please, please. No such thing as a worldly Christian. There comes a point where a Christian says, I can't walk with the world any longer. I must walk with Christ. This is a good breaking, isn't it? This is a wonderful work that he does. Satan has broken this world. Sin has broken this world. But how did the Lord Jesus do all of this? Well, he came into this world, friends, by living the life that we hadn't. Because there's none righteous None. When God looks down from heaven, he sees none are righteous. But there was one that came into this world. There was only one that was able and is able, as you see the picture here, able to lead the people, as it were, out of Babylon and into Jerusalem. And there's only one that is good enough to take us to heaven. There's only one that is good enough to take us to the new Jerusalem. And that's the Lord Jesus. He had to come into this world. And he had to, let me say, be broken. The scriptures say, as he took the bread, he said, this is my body, which is broken for you, figuratively. But he literally had to be put to death on the account of his people. That there would be peace, that there would be enmity with God. But when... You know you're a Christian, friends. 
You are no longer in allegiance with this world. It's not your friend. What did the Lord Jesus say? A man must follow me. He must deny himself. John says if we love the world, the love of the Father is not in us. Friend, let me ask you, what is your hope? The only hope is to know that breaking power of Christ in us. And I want to ask you that question tonight. Has he broken you? Has he broken you over your sin? You see, many people just want some sort of experience when they come to church. But they don't want Christ. They love this world. And let me say this, they're just kidding themselves. They've never been broken over their sin. They love this present world. They want entertainment. They want to live their own life. But let me say this, friends. He is called Jesus. For he shall save his people from their sins. And he he breaks the power of sin in the life. And if you don't have that, there is something drastically missing in your life. It's not another sermon. It's not a book that you can get off the shelf. Ten easy steps to become a Christian. But it's Christ. Only Christ can set you free. Only Christ can break open that you're in a prison. You're in your own prison. Yes, you're in the world. You you may not feel like it's a prison. But what is it you want? Let me ask you tonight, what is it you want? The Christian says, give me Christ or I die. Lord, I want this new life. I don't want to live for myself anymore. I want to live to God, and I want to live to his praise, and I want to honor him. I want to trust thee. As the people walked out of Babylon, God was with them. And you know, God will be with his people, and this world is pictured as the Babylon of this world. You read the book of the Revelation, Babylon, the world. And it's a dangerous place, my friends. Let me say, let me warn you, there are many pseudo-forms of Christianity. But they're not the real deal. They're not the real thing. The real thing is, Christ sets you free. From this world. From sin. And must begin with your sin. We sometimes sing... In that hymn of Charles Wesley, Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing, my great Redeemer's praise. He breaks the power of cancelled sin. He sets the prisoner free. His blood can make the foulest clean. His blood availed for me. Well, if you are Christ's, you will be set free. And what a freeman is 
What a joy it is. And you know what? It's not a drudgery to be here on the Lord's Day. You're one of the first people here. You come in and you want to sing the praises of God from the heart. You want to rejoice in him all the days of your life. You would see Christ. You would rejoice in him. May God break hearts and broke open that prison door tonight and set you free in the Son of God. Amen.